Well, it's such an honor to be here today with all of you. My wife, uh, Mary Tess, and our two boys, Leo and Bennett, uh, are just excited to be here. They love going to different churches and checking things out, checking out the kids' ministry. But today, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles or your phone Bible, please turn to there. Uh, but before we get into that text, I just want to start out with a, just a little bit of a group confession session. Just really want to uh, ask you a question to see who here in the room can relate with me on this. Have you ever gotten in trouble for doing something that you should not have been doing? Have any of you here been in trouble for doing something you should not have been doing? Hands, okay. I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate it. Now, for me, I've gotten in trouble a lot in my life. I'm the youngest sibling in my home. Uh, I was a little bit of a, of a troublemaker. But um, my earliest memory actually was me getting in trouble. My, my parents were visiting my relatives, and my, they put my cousin and I to bed. Uh, we were probably three years old. And, uh, and I remember we knew that in the living room, there were cookies on the coffee table and they had not been eaten yet. And so we waited up until our parents put us to bed. And then once they closed the door, we snuck out when all ghost recon style down the hallway to the living room. And I remember seeing those cookies at eye level. Today it's still probably eye level for me. But eye level and reaching to grab those cookies. And right when I grabbed it, I heard my parents say, Tyson... And I looked up, and there are all the adults looking at me and my cousin, and we were busted, caught. But what is something that you have done? Think about that memory in your, in your mind of, of what you've been caught for. Maybe for you is some, you know, something you had done. Maybe it is that you went somewhere you weren't supposed to go. Maybe you said something you weren't supposed to say, or maybe it was uh, you know, getting a speeding ticket or something like that. We all know what it's like to get in trouble, and it's not a fun feeling, is it? We've all experienced that before. And yet, for me, as I think about these different experiences in my life, I think about the most vivid memory that I have. And the good part is with this is that it wasn't me getting in trouble. I think it's always easier when it's not you getting in trouble. But I got to experience something that just sticks in my mind so clearly today. A number of years ago, I worked at a summer camp, and I worked at the summer camp for a number of summers. Um, and, uh, and this camp had a lake, had a dock, and there was a rule that if you're on the dock, you're not allowed to push other people in. Obvious, right? Well, uh, there was this one camper that was there, his first time ever there, and the first day, he, just, uh, he decided to push a bunch of people into the lake. Just boosh, pushing people and pushing people. And then he would run away, and la run away laughing and wouldn't get caught. The next day, day two, down at the lake, He's pushing people in again. People are starting to get frustrated. People are starting to get angry with this guy. And it was day three. This kid was developing a reputation of being the one who pushes people into the lake. And day three, he's sitting there eating his lunch. And as he looks up, he sees all around him the four biggest counselors at the camp. And he says, how can I help you? And they look at him and said, you, you're going in the lake. And so they grabbed him by the arms, they grabbed him by the feet, and the whole camp went into uproar. They all cheered because they knew that he had pushed a bunch of them into the lake. And so they started chanting, in the lake, 
in the lake. And everybody got up and he started walking down towards the lake with this, with this camper being carried by these four counselors. And they walked across the field, past the tree line, down to like onto the dock. And they got to the end of the dock, they grabbed him by the arms and the feet and they started swinging. And everybody was counting. One, two, three. They let go. This guy closes his eyes and splash into the water. The question I often think about is what was going through that camper's mind? What was he thinking as he was going down? Because he tried to fight it at first. He tried to make these excuses, but eventually he realized there was no turning back from it. And he just kind of slouched in surrender. See, he felt shame. He was feeling guilt. And ultimately he was feeling this word condemnation. He was condemned for the action he was doing. He was guilty of the things that he was doing, and finally he was getting payback for it. Now, condemnation is a word that I would like to cover today and talk about today because I think it's something that we're all aware of, we all experience, and yet, why do we face that so much in our life? Condemnation actually is a legal term. It's a term that when you are guilty, you are condemned, and must face the punishment for the law that you have broken. But when I think of condemnation, I think it's so much greater than just a legal term. Because why is it that I feel condemnation to myself? Why do I condemn myself? Why do I feel like I need to condemn others or others condemn me? See, condemnation is something bigger than a legal term. It's something that we all feel. And here's the thing. Condemnation it sticks. It's sticky. It sticks with us in so many ways. It's all-encompassing. All all it's like a weight that we're carrying and affects your identity and ultimately makes you feel like you are unworthy. I think about it and I go, there's a reason why this is my first memory, thinking about condemnation, because it was such a very real and deep-seated feeling at one of the earliest moments of my life. And not only that, but condemnation is, is sticky because it travels with you. Wherever you go, it will go with you. You try to run from it, and it will follow you. And people who feel condemnation, how do they respond? Well, some people try to run from it. Some people try to shift the blame. Some people try to make excuses. My grade five teacher, she told me, Tyson, you could write a book on excuses. You have so many of them. People avoid eye contact. They hang their head low. They'll lie to try and cover it up. But whatever it is, that condemnation will stick to them. And there's a lot of people that I know that have, have been on their deathbed and they're sitting there. And they start sharing, confessing all these things that they felt condemned for. These regrets that they had in their life. Because they'd carried it all the way to that journey and couldn't carry it no more. Today, in Romans 8, is precisely what Paul is talking about. This word condemnation. 
Now, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Dan, they have been doing a great job with this series. They have uh, been covering all the way up to this point. And Pastor Jonathan, last week, really covered well um, the whole idea of our battle with sin. And really how Paul was writing about this tension of serving God with your mind and wanting to serve God with your mind. But then your flesh ends up serving, this, serving sin in your flesh and serving sin and serving the world. And you're at this tension where you know what you should be doing, but ultimately, your body does the totally opposite of what you're trying to do in your mind. It's this tension that we face in our life. But what does Paul say? Well, if you look at at verse 1 in chapter 1, it says, therefore. Now, I just want to pause really quick. We're really deep into this. Therefore. Whenever you see therefore, when you start reading scripture, I want to encourage you. And this is what I was always told. When you see a therefore, you have to know what it's there for. When you see a therefore, you have to know what it's there for. If you look back at chapter 7, which again, Pastor Jonathan covered so well, and it's been so great. Um, he, Paul was talking about being released from the law of sin and death and, uh, and being bound to Christ. And he uses this analogy of, of a married woman. And this married woman whose husband dies, and, when, when, and she's bound to the law with him because she was married to him, but when he dies... She, there, she is therefore released from the law that binds her to him. But now, and Paul says this in verse 6, he says, by dying, is talking to us, he's like, by dying to what's, what's, what once bound us, the law, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We are no longer bound by the law because we have died to ourselves, we have died to that, and now have walked with Christ. And so Paul says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Let's just pause there for a second and take a look at this. The penalty that came with breaking the law the law that, 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 um, that was supposed to be followed, the penalty that came with that, breaking the law, is no longer enforceable because we have died to our sinful nature and are now living in Christ. We have died to this way of living. And we said, you know what? No longer me, it's no longer I, it's no longer my sinful nature, but rather I have chosen now this new life in Christ. And as it says in, in the book of Corinthians, and it says that we have this new nature, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So we have been delivered from our condemnation because we are no longer condemned by the law, but rather we are now free from it and the condemnation no longer sticks to us. So Paul keeps going on. Verse 3, he says this. For what the law was powerless to do. Now, why was the law powerless? The law is powerless because the law cannot help you escape from sin. And it cannot save you from it. The law is strictly the law. The law is is a set of rules that determine whether you have crossed the line or you have not. But the law does not provide any remedies from it. It just declares you condemned. So what the law was powerless to do, it could not save us because it was weakened by the flesh. Back to verse 3 here. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh 
to be a sin offering. And this is what I love. It says here that God did by sending his own son. The amazing part of this is this. When all seems hopeless, when the law condemns you, God steps in and provides a solution for you. What I love about when I'm reading this is often so many times, I'll put my own self and read this in my own perspective, but the reality is this, is that this is all about who God is and his character and what he's done for us in, in humanity. Because it's not about us inviting God into our story, no. If you read scripture, it's all about God inviting us into his story and him making it a way possible that we could have a relationship ultimately with him. And so it says that in verse 3, and it continues on. In the second half of verse 3, it says, And so he condemned not us, but he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according, ultimately, to the Spirit. See, God condemns sin, not us, for all who are in Christ by faith, there is no condemnation for sin, but rather the condemnation of sin in the flesh. Therefore, fulfilling the requirement of the law, because Jesus' death fulfills the penalty of sin. So Paul continues on, and he starts now to talk about this contrast between the battle of flesh and spirit. And he says this, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And when I look at that and I realize, okay, those who live according to the flesh desire what the flesh desires, what does that look like? And those who live according to the Spirit desire what the Spirit desires, what does that look like? Well, you can look back in the book of Galatians and it gives you a bit of a list of what that kind of looks like. Paul writes in, in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 5, he says this. Here's a list in the deeds of the flesh, of the fleshly nature is this. There are things like sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, jealousy, strife, rage, division, envy, drunkenness, etc., and etc., and etc. But he goes on and he says, but the fruit, the deeds of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit are the following. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he goes on, he says, against such things there is no law. As I look at this, and as I look at what the Spirit desires, as we continue to walk in the Spirit, and as we continue to walk in Christ, we start to desire the things that God so desires. The more we allow God to saturate our lives, the more we desire the things of his heart. For example, the, I'm in the middle of this eight-week fitness challenge where it's about 20 or 25 of other people who are, are put together and there's three trainers that are working with us. And in this fitness challenge, uh, they've built this whole workout plan for us. We have, um, we have to stay within these dietary guidelines. They've built these macro charts for us, and so we have to stay within them. Uh, we have accountability, all these different things that we have to do in it. Um, but when I started, it was a lot of work, because we had to drink four to five liters of water a day. Four to five liters of water a day. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that's a lot of water. I wasn't sure if I was pregnant 
or, or if I had something wrong with my prostate because I had to go to the bathroom multiple times a day, more than I ever had before. But as I started going on, and as I started living this healthier lifestyle, after about a week or so, my body started to crave more and more and more of it. What was a lot of water, four to five liters, now became normal. And my body started to crave it if I wasn't drinking enough water. What was once junk food in my life, I replaced it with healthy food and healthy, nutritious food. My body started to crave it the more and more I ate of it. And anytime I would eat some that wasn't good and it wasn't nutritious, my body almost would start to reject it and it wouldn't feel so good anymore. The more that you continue to pursue something that is healthy and good in your life, the more your body desires it. The more that you continue to pursue God in your life, your life will continue to change and you will begin to desire the things that God desires in that. So Paul goes on about this whole tension and the whole battle of flesh and spirit. He says in verse 6, the mind governed by flesh is death ultimately. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Think about this. How would you like this trade-off? Would you rather have a, a mind governed by flesh that leads to death? Or would you rather have a mind that is that is, is a mind governed by the Spirit that is life and peace. And he goes on to say, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But he goes on, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. This is encouraging. He pivots here, takes a directive to them and starts sharing the hope. He says, you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Christ ultimately is in you. And Paul argued that people disobey God's law because of the indwelling power of sin. Here, he asserts that the indwelling and empowering presence of the Spirit helps believers to resist the flesh and please God ultimately. So as you see, Paul is starting to share the difference here between a life of the flesh and how it leads to death and this life in the Spirit that leads to, to, to life and peace. And he ends at verse 11 saying, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he, who raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. It's a very amazing thing. The Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, now lives within you. Think about that. The, the, the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that gave the power to raise Jesus from the dead, now lives within you. And the Spirit ultimately gives life. Now, what is Paul really referencing at? What is he getting at here? There's a few things. One is this, that Christ frees us ultimately from the power of sin. He frees us from the power of sin and death. Not only that, but he frees us from the power of condemnation. We no longer 
have to walk around feeling unworthy or condemned because Christ has taken that away from us. And I want you to understand two things here. There's a difference between condemnation and a difference between conviction. A difference between condemnation and conviction. Louis Giglio writes this. He talks about the difference between the two. He says, condemnation comes from guilt. Conviction is born out of grace. Condemnation leads you to conceal your sin and hide it. Conviction urges you to confess it. Condemnation results in remorse, feeling bad about what you did, where conviction calls you to repentance or turning to go the other way. Condemnation prompts you to rededicate, where conviction demands full surrender. Condemnation is a path to future failure, where conviction is a highway to real change. My friends, we as believers in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, do not have to face condemnation no more. You do not have to be condemned any longer. And one of the ways I was thinking about this is uh, many years ago I was a youth pastor and, and, I, uh, and I had a small group of, of grade 12 guys. And these guys were really struggling with temptation and wanted to hold each other accountable. And so we had this text chat going on, this group that was going on and, and talking about it. And we would text in every time that, that we needed prayer or needed some help or whatever it was. And I remember um, with this group of guys who were all strong leaders, amazingly gifted individuals, they would beat themselves up so much. Anytime they would stumble, anytime they stumbled, they would just, they would totally feel defeated. They'd feel ashamed, unworthy, whatever it was. And I remember they were thinking about the fact that they were condemned and they were condemning themselves. And, and at the time, this is a time when the Canucks were good. Do you remember that season when the Canucks were good? And they had one of the best goaltenders in the world. His name was Roberto Luongo. And Roberto Luongo was a phenomenal goalie. But here's the thing about him. He didn't stop every single shot that went in. But he stopped most of them. And I thought about this going, what makes him such a good goalie? Is it because he focuses on the goals he lets in? Or is it because he focuses on all the saves that he's continuing to make? You see, as... Roberto Luong would go on, if he would focus and always condemn himself for every single goal that he let in, he would no longer be a good goaltender because that would be all he'd be thinking about and he wouldn't be ready to put himself up for the next save. And yet what made him so great was even though he let one or two goals in, he would save 40 to 50 other shots that came his way. And I remember encouraging the group of guys saying, guys, don't focus any longer on every time that you stumble but rather focus on the times that you've been victorious. Focus on the times when you have turned away from temptation, when God has drawn close to you or you've drawn close to him in those moments. Those are the real victories that we need to have because the mark of a Christian is not one who's held by condemnation. That is not held anywhere that I see in Scripture to the identity of a believer because Christ frees us from the power of sin and death and condemnation. But not only that, is this, that the power of Christ transforms your life. The power of Christ transforms your, your life. As you continue to walk with Jesus, your heart begins to change. Your life begins to change. Your thought processes begin to change and to think more along the lines of things that he thinks about. I remember hearing one time, uh, I think my mom had said this to me, but it's a familiar quote. It says, God loves us just the way we are. 
but he loves us too much for us to stay that way. And it's this whole process that we have in our lives. And in, in the church world, we call it sanctification. It's where you continue to be changed from the inside out and be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. Because it's not like you just take on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not like you just pick up all those things on your own and you just like start walking in them. It's something that sometimes takes time to develop and time to grow in your heart. But pretty soon as you start, as you continue to walk with Jesus, you realize, wow, my thoughts have changed. I'm not thinking so negatively about these things anymore. Or I'm starting to see more hope in people or the goodness in people instead of all just the negative in people. You realize that my language, all of a sudden my language is changing and how I'm talking that instead of bringing people down, I'm, I'm starting to lift people up. Or when I face certain stressful situations, I'm no longer thinking it's doom and gloom. The economy is going down. I've lost my job, all these different things. But you're rather, you're finding yourself going, you know what? I think we're going to be okay because God is with us. And God is walking with us. God continues to transform your life when you give it to him. Thirdly, the power of Christ welcomes new life. The power of Christ welcomes new life. And this one is huge for me because where Christians reside, where those Christ followers, people who follow Jesus reside, wherever the church resides or is in a community, there should be life in that community. There should be life in that home. There should be transformation of some way, shape, or form. A couple days ago, we just had Halloween, and our neighborhood is a complete zoo during Halloween. We had about three to 400 kids come by our house. But what my wife and I started doing about six years ago, when we first moved in, we said, how was the best way to get to know our neighbors? Well, we had Halloween around the corner. We said, when is there any other time in the world where the whole community is all out at once? And so what we did is we set up our house, and we set up our driveway, and we put a, a table at the front with a, a coffee urn. We put... Um, uh, hot chocolate. We put dog treats out there. Uh, over COVID, I made this little Plinko board to drop candy in, uh, and that just has become a big hit with all the kids in the community. And then we added uh, a little a propane fire pit over on the side of the drive with chairs around it. This year, we offered marshmallows, and it transformed our community. We got to know neighbors that we had never met before. New people who moved to our neighborhood, who are new to Canada, new to our country, they would just come and they would sit there and reside and they would just get to know one another and we would just chat it up. On this day of Halloween, when everybody's all on the street, our home became this little beacon of light, this place where people could congregate and the feedback, the things that they would continue to say to us is, is, is go, wow, this is so nice or this is so generous of you. Or... This is so warm, like this is such a warm feeling of place. Or uh, how some of my friends would describe it, we don't go to church, they go, man, this is a really cool vibe you got going on here. But often people would allude that there's something different about this place. And my wife and I are going, if there's a way that we can continue to be a light in our community, especially on the darkest nights of the year, and continue to share that hope, that was a huge win. 
And I feel like we as, as Christ followers need to be like that in our communities. We need to be like that in our families. We need to be like that in our workplaces. Wherever we go, that we are beacons of light. Continue to share people about the warmth and the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ in their life. And we don't have to do it all just by like proclaiming, yes, we need to proclaim the gospel, but in just even our behavior. A lot of people always look and they ask and so, and they go, you always seem so happy. You always seem like you have this joy. Everything seems so fun for you. And there's an open door, an opportunity to step into it and share the good news of Jesus Christ. But not only that, church. But I really feel that where the power of Christ welcomes new life is where the church should reside. Ridge Church. God has placed you here at this street corner in this neighborhood to be a beacon of light for the whole community and for everybody who drives by. You have an opportunity here, opportunity here like no other. And this is the opportunity, and this is what Paul ultimately is telling his followers and, and listeners in the book of Romans. He says this, that Christ removes the stickiness of condemnation in your life. Christ removes the stickiness of condemnation in your life. It's like uh, in my home, we, we had a, a, I had some um, Velcro around our door frame, and I tried to peel it off and left all the sticky residue on it and looked unsightly. It didn't feel nice or anything. And so I had to go in, into, my, into my shop and I had to grab this solution called Goo Gone. And Goo Gone, you wipe it on there, and it takes all the stickiness away and, and makes everything nice and shiny and brand new again. Christ removes the stickiness of condemnation in our lives and we continue to share with others around us that Christ removes the stickiness of condemnation in their life. That is the ultimate point of what Paul is getting to here is that those who live in Christ are no longer condemned. And so don't live that way anymore. Remember how I talked about that kid who, or, or that camper who was thrown into the lake well, I didn't finish the complete story because as the counselors grabbed him and they, they swung him, one, two, three, and he's thrown into the lake and he hears the splash and his eyes are closed. He pauses and then he realizes he's not wet. This doesn't make sense. He heard the splash, he felt the swinging, but he is not wet. And as he opened his eyes and looked over, the counselors had jumped in on his behalf, into the lake. You could hear a pin drop at the whole waterfront of camp as these counselors just modeled to this one camper grace, modeled the fact that he is no longer condemned because of the work that they, they paid the punishment for him. And they modeled the gospel in a very tangible way. Do you think that kid throughout the rest of the week, push another camper or push another person to the lake? No. He was transformed. His life was completely different. He had a whole different light to him. He had a whole different demeanor to how he carried himself. He would carry it with his head up high. He had a smile and a joy to him that he never had before because he had experienced the gospel in a very real way in his life. Being in Christ and living by the Spirit brings about transformation and it takes away the condemnation that sin tries to heap on us every single day. 
And church, this is why we exist. We're not here to be a social club. We're not here just to sing songs to God. Yes, we are. We're not here just to hang out with one another. Even though all those are all great things. We're not here just for the child care. Those are great things too. I love it. My kids are benefiting from it right now. But we exist here to proclaim the gospel to proclaim to people walking in condemnation that they don't need to be condemned any longer. That there is a solution for their condemnation in their lives. That they can be free and liberated, but it can only come through Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine the impact that that would happen in our communities if people started hearing this message more and more? Can you imagine... The impact that would have in your families. As family members realize that you were somebody who is no longer walking in condemnation. And they see this. You have a freedom about you. You have a joy about you. You have a light about you that seems so different. Even though they know you're walking through a hard time. But it's because of the, uh, of the power that you have in Christ through the Spirit. Imagine the difference that that would make to so many people who are carrying things that none of us would ever know. When we can go out there and say, listen, I once was blind, but now I see I, that our God saved a wretch like me. Someone who once was condemned is condemned no longer. Psalm 37, 23, 24 says this. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he'll keep his steps firm. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord holds him by the hand. And ultimately, what that means to me is this. If your intention is to pursue God, if your intention is to pursue the Lord in all things, he will not allow you to fall, but he will hold you by the hand, preventing you from falling completely. Yes, you will stumble. Yes, we will sin at times in our life, but we no longer have to carry the condemnation of sin because Jesus has taken the stickiness of condemnation away. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you, Father, that you had sent Jesus to earth, not only just to model how to live according to your word, but that you satisfied and fulfilled the law by the death of Christ on the cross. But it didn't just stop there, but Christ rose again from the dead. And Jesus, you look at us and say, I no longer condemn you. You are no longer condemned because you are a child of mine. And you have made it right that we can have a relationship with the Father again. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here, anybody who's watching online that is walking in condemnation, I pray, Lord, that they would give that to you. That they would offer it to you, Lord. And, Lord, that you would in turn show them that they are no longer condemned, that they would feel the, the weightlessness of forgiveness and freedom and be able to walk in the hope and the life and the joy that comes through you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to do your work and reveal your presence in our life this week as we go. And Lord, give us an opportunity this week to share your truth and your life with those around us that others may see that they don't have to carry their condemnation anymore. 
In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Well, Ridge Church, it was such an honor to be with you here today. And as you go, I just want to bless you with a, a benediction that uh, one of my mentors used to always say, and it was this. As you go, may the Lord go with you. May he go before you to guide you. May he go behind you to encourage you. May he go above you to watch over you, beside you to befriend you, and within you to grant you his eternal peace. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Go and have a great week. We'll see you next week.